0: online, on Radio Player and on 106.6 FM. This
1: is Wickham Sound, the Wickham Wanderers Show. Welcome along to the latest edition of the Wickham Wanderers Show. I don't know why I said that, it's clearly obvious in the the announcing bit what's happening. Uh, Myself and Bob were with you for the next hour discussing
2: uh, the, how did you describe it, was it the eye-watering? Yes, eye-watering uh, and yawn-inducing. Uh, although, if you want to use the same one for both, you could just say, you know, you, you felt like you had to hide your eyes against Brentford and then probably wanted to hide your eyes against Birmingham. <laughs> There's
1: a lot of eye-covering involved in both games. Uh, we'll hear from manager Gareth Ainsworth uh, talking about both fixtures, which have happened since our last programme. Uh, also, as well, we'll play tribute to uh, Sandy
2: Durden as well. Plus, Plus. Uh, oh, we, will also, uh, we will also be hearing from uh, David Wheeler. So today is time uh, to talk today day uh, where you are encouraged to speak about your mental health and how you are feeling. Uh, we will hear from David uh, in conversation with Wickham fan Tom Hancock. And also we'll be catching up with the chairman and co-founder of
1: the Wickham Wanderers Ex-Players, Supporter, no, Ex-Players Association. Sorry, <laughs> I chucked in as supporters. That would have been the WWESPA, but that's not what they're called
2: it would have to be quite a big sort of like organisation maybe and also ex-supporters well, what does that mean well, they, they've given up and come off and supported like Mansfield <laughs> maybe uh, also
1: uh, I'd like to say a very big hello to uh, Will the Chef Hello! Hello. Uh, this should have been in last week's show, but I forgot. Uh, okay. Basically, Will the Chef has done uh, fantastic work. Uh, we, we had him on the show, didn't we? But unfortunately, his w- mobile phone reception didn't allow us to chat to him for we, too long. We should get
2: him back on, actually.
1: Absolutely. We should, do, we should have Will the Chef regularly. Um, but, sounds like a question, doesn't it? Will it the does. Chef, and then dot, dot, dot. So, yeah, we spoke to Will the Chef when they were doing the, the meals at Adams Park. Um, but also, uh, Will the Chef has provided, well... What one reporter who was at the Tottenham game described as a packed lunch, but I suppose at the time of day that wasn't wholly appropriate. But uh, basically, members of the media got these these packs of food, uh, which
2: included, I'm told, uh, chocolate brownies to die for. Now I, I'm quite jealous about this because as someone who was lucky enough to go to most of the games sort of before Christmas. Uh, one of the things that pretty much every club said in all of the blurb because when you go as one of the media you get sent a load of stuff through normally anyway but actually obviously in these days of of COVID and whatever you get sent loads of stuff through saying you know you've got to buy buy all of the rules and make sure you haven't got a temperature and all that sort of stuff but they all then say There'll be absolutely no food. We're really sorry. There won't be any food. There'll be bottles of water and that's about it. Um, and to be honest, there's a couple of clubs that maybe slightly bend the rules. Um, so, so Barnsley in particular did give us a, a goodie bag. Uh, it had a couple of Haribos in it and a program, which, you know, that was perfectly nice. And uh, you've got a little Barnsley carrier bag as well, uh, which was nice. But the fact that, that Wickham are now giving out chocolate brownies, uh, I'm, I'm quite jealous because obviously I didn't, I, I'm not going to the games anymore. I'm having to watch them at home. So, that, you know, that's that's above and beyond. Maybe it was just for the fourth round of the FA Cup as a special thing. Possibly, yeah. Maybe it is an FA Cup thing. But I think then, that actually, you know, the, the people who then only go to the sort of, like, the Premier League games, the media people, they, they clearly, they get quite spoiled. Yes. Which, you know, it's possibly is why they're all slightly, don't look like they'd be able to be footballers. <laughs> well,
1: certainly the reporter, I expect, was very impressed with the, the catering provision at Adams Park last Monday. So, as I say, that well should have been
2: yeah well, well done will the chef that
1: should have been in last week's show really but if you listen to last week's show you can sort of insert that in mentally if you'd like okay to. yeah well well done for for admitting that that was your error <laughs> available on the podcast that might make sense now um, <laughs> excellent inclusion so i guess we don't want to dwell too much on a, on a heavy defeat at brentford but um, uh,
2: your quick thoughts um, just, y- yes, uh, you know, very disappointing afternoon. Um, th- it, you slightly felt that maybe the writing was on the wall after the first few minutes because Brentford did look very, very good. Um, but obviously we managed to get back into the game twice. So you were thinking, oh, you know, th- th- this might be okay after all. And remember, you know, we have drawn Brentford twice this season, um, you know, admittedly in, in the, uh, League Cup, then we lost on penalties, but you know, we, we held them at Adams Park. And so two all at time, I think probably everyone was thinking, oh, you know, this is going quite well. Um we certainly didn't see five goals going in against us in the second half. Uh, you know, the 3-2 was maybe not, not a great surprise. And you thought, well, maybe we'll manage to come back into it at 3 all Then, of course, the referee completely changed the game by giving away, uh, you know, the most ridiculous penalty to Brentford. And then I think it's probably fair to say that basically we slightly lost our heads after that um G- definitely Gareth was, was encouraging them to to chase the game and that partly then resulted in you know in, in maybe a couple of the goals going in but yes seven two was a little bit harsh really um, but at the same time really they needed to be a little bit more professional after that fourth goal and just put the injustice behind them uh, and weren't able to do that which is quite unusual for for one of Gareth's teams. And the manager spoke to Phil after the
1: game.
3: You know, we've lost our we've lost our focus on what we were good at in the first half. Um, so the boys have got to be better on that, on the concentration and the focus, because we had a plan and it worked first half. You know, we we did really well, um, but you know, we uh, we let Brentford run away with the game with sort of a lack of a lack of concentration and, and focus after feeling hard done by after those two goals. You know, and. Uh, and you you let teams get on top like Brentford. They're a good side. They're a very good side, and they're gonna they're gonna take advantage of that. So, um, you know, we've had a long discussion after the game. I told them that second half wasn't acceptable, and um, we'll have to put that right now.
4: Uh, injured players and ill players as well. Uh, has that played a part today?
3: Absolutely. You know, you you, um, you know, you lose players like Taffazzoli and uh, and Gape and Jacobson and. Uh, all three would probably be in the first team, you know, starting eleven. So, of course, but then you expect whoever's picked out there to, to be able to do the job, you know, and, and that's uh, that's where we are. I don't think the championship is that much better, not seven-two better than Wickham than Wanderers. But um, today it was, and, uh, and they're a good side. The top manager and I, I'm, you know, not take anything away from Brentford. They were they were super today with their finishes. Um, I think the referee's got a couple of big, big decisions wrong. The penalty for me is an absolute not. Um, you know, the boy toes the ball, but Fred kicks the ball as well, so it's not a penalty. Um, but we cannot let things like that affect us too much, lose our focus, lose our concentration, and be all at sea, and then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take the blame for one of the goals at the end there because I opened up to try and get one back, but um, it's uh, it's not good enough. But I thought it was one or two positives a lot of negatives we've got to get them out on Monday and get ready for Birmingham Tuesday. Now,
4: it's a long season and and the golf in in budgets and size of clubs coming into the championship you would have known about did you almost anticipate there would be the odd day like this this season
3: yeah we've had a couple now we had one away at Blackburn and one away at Brentford you know there's two teams who are definitely going to be going for the playoffs uh, and, and automatic promotion but I'm not a character who accepts defeats like that well you know it hurts me Big time. Um, I'll be working these boys very hard this week. We're going to have to probably, la- uh, you know, limit the training because of the legs and the amount of games we've got. But they're going to be sat in front of the videos and and watching and, and knowing where they went wrong. And uh, you know, I think one or two have to probably, you know, look at look at themselves as I do after games, um, and then we'll we'll look at it as a team. But. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm going to criticise my boys in public. I'm the manager. The book stops at me. We've lost seven-two today. I'll take that t- defeat on the on the chin, and we'll go again on mon- on Tuesday. Well, Monday definitely, but Tuesday at Birmingham. Tuesday against Birmingham
4: at Adams Park. It, it'll come thick and fast. Almost, that's a good thing, really, to get this out of the system.
3: Absolutely. One of the players has said in the dressing room positive is we've got a game in three days to put this right um, and I'll be giving my all to make sure they do put it right they're a great bunch I'm right with them, for six, seven years we've been on a successful journey this is a this is a test now for us, um, but I firmly believe that my boys will come through this test
4: you set a target of 35 points for the second half of the season, you've got 15 in the first half, Birmingham City are down at the bottom ends nearer Wickham Wanderers, is, does that add more pressure onto that game?
3: The next six games I've looked at and, and I think we can we can be confident in all six games you know today if I'm honest I knew it would be very tough coming to Brentford but at half time there's no way I saw 7-2 coming absolutely no way um, I'm, I'm shocked as ever anyone to see those five goals in the second half um, we had a couple of chances it could have been you know, seven four, seven five, but it, it was seven two. It's not acceptable. We now have to go into these next games believing we're going to win them. We need points on the board, otherwise we're going to get cut adrift. And uh, you know, we always knew it would be tough, but I didn't realise it'd be uh, days like this. It, it's a, that's a tough one to take for me.
4: And to find the positive, Uchi Piaz's performance, especially in the first half. I'm, I'm guessing that's why you have signed him.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's, he's uh, unplayable sometimes, year you know, he's going to cause a lot of problems, but um, we have to eradicate mistakes, everybody, you know, the whole 20 people that travel. Let's eradicate all the mistakes we can, um, because they get punished at this level. Um, like I say, I'm always proud to be the manager, and again, I'm proud, and I'll take that on the chin. 7-2, hook stops with me. Let's go again on Tuesday.
1: I remember a wise man tweeting that uh, three points would have been
2: nice, but it's the next six games that will define the season. That, yes, I, I remember that as well. Uh, was it Doctor Who? Because he sounded like he was trying to make an appearance at the end. There. <laughs> so, uh, so, someone's phone not on airplane mode, I think. I think that's probably what it was. Um, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, the, the Brentford game. I won't quite call it a free hit, but it felt a bit like that. And obviously, Brentford, you know, uh, have got. Serious Premier League aspirations and look like maybe this is the season that they're finally going to make it there. They're such an um, informed team at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, you know, completely. And, you know, Ivan Tony is, is just wonderful, you know, scored again last night. Um, whereas, yes, um, Birmingham, Nottingham Forest, Sheffield Wednesday, you know, the, these are the games that are very much going to define our season and decide whether or not we are going to have a chance of staying in the championship. Um, and so, yes, you know, t- Tuesday night was clearly, uh, a, in some ways, a lot more important and very important as well just to see how actually they then bounce back from the, the 7-2 defeat. And how did they bounce back from the 7-2 defeat? With a rather boring 0-0 draw against uh, Birmingham City. Um it was okay. Um, but, but easily Ryan Ulsopp was the, the best player on the pitch. Uh, he made some fantastic saves. Um, as did Etheridge in the Birmingham goal as well. Uh, which, you know, it, uh, as Gareth will, will admit to, um, is what you get normally with a nil nil. Um, you know, th- we got a point that was good, but really, particularly considering it, we'd already beaten Birmingham at home. Again, it, I'm going to keep saying this, but, you know, if we, we really do want to stay in the championship, I think, Birmingham at home was probably a game that really we needed to get all three points from
1: yes Birmingham for the taking which would have been great I suppose a point's
2: positive I guess hopefully a point closer to safety Definitely, you know it. It it is. It, you know, was was a good point. Um, I, I think it's just the fact as well that actually everybody else at the moment does seem to be picking up. You know, not not only a point here and a point there, but they do all seem to be picking up three points. Obviously, Rotherham last night were, won as well. Um, then you know, Tuesday night Sheffield, Wednesday and Nottingham Forest both won. Obviously, who we're, we're playing next. Um, I can't help now looking back to that Preston game and really, really wishing that that had been a league game rather than a cup game. Um, And I think it was such a shame as well that then we had the whole COVID situation where the next two games got got postponed because I think actually the 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 bounce that that would have given us going into QPR away and, and Sheffield Wednesday would have been you know probably enough to maybe ensure that we at least got four points out of those six um, but of course it didn't happen then we had the Spurs game and then we had the Brentford game um, and you know so now we're slightly picking up the pieces
1: and before we hear from Gareth obviously the game came the day after the transfer window closed or the night after I should say
2: Yes, indeed. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, it, it was a decent transfer window, really, for, for a start, because we brought in uh, Jordan Abita from uh, Oxford United. And we understand that, actually, we paid money for him. And that doesn't happen very often with regards to Wigan Wanderers. I think only once before has Gareth actually parted with some cash. And another loan signing as well, a return to the club. It's always nice when players return, isn't it? Indeed, and I know we've said this a lot, but it's interesting how many people do come back to Wickham. So uh, Nandi Offa uh coming back to us from AFC Bournemouth. Uh, you know, again, another really, really good signing. So great to have those inclusions,
1: and great to hear from Gareth speaking to the media after the nil-nil uh, draw with Birmingham.
3: Very limited moments of quality out there. A couple of chances. I think what was Premier League was probably the two goalkeepers. I think they've both made match-saving saves. You know, Ryan Alsop has come up with uh, a couple. And uh, Ethridge, the one in the first half, that's deflected, and he's going the wrong way to start with. It had me some unbelievable save. So um, I think if anyone comes out of credit, it's the goalkeepers, and and that's usually the story on nil-nil. But um, no, pleased um, from Saturday, we've progressed a great deal, Um, and that was important to get. You know, either team probably nicking it would have been unjust. They probably share the share of the chances over us, but. pleased that we've, uh, we've battled well against a very strong ground side you know all six footers they've got a certain way of playing um, and like I say the pitch the wind the weather there was a distinct lack of quality at times and from both teams but um not pleased with the point and we'll build on that for Saturday now was it the nature of the
1: positions that both sides find themselves in as well?
3: <laughs> yeah, I think so. Both teams don't want to concede, do they? They don't want to Birmingham only conceded eight goals all season away from home and I wanted to add another one to that. But um no, they, they're superb set up, you know, as I ranka does with his teams, you know, very solid, um, usually counter-attack you very well. Um, the boy Bella on the left side I thought was a real match for Jack Grimmer did really well um, but at times as well we had Fred who, who was always a threat When bail come on I thought he, uh, we, we got more of the ball forward um but um no we, we were really pleased with uh with the progression from Saturday uh, and if we can progress again this Saturday then that would be a, a victory but um you know we've uh, we've got five games coming up now that in and around us all the teams um you know we can in the championship, we celebrate every point and every goal and that's tonight is a point so I'll uh, I'll be happy on that one. Decent day for Peter? Yes, I thought he uh he gave me exactly what I what I thought he would. He's got pace, he's got a bit of calmness, he's got quality on the ball. Um gonna be a good challenge for Jacobson without a shadow of a doubt, you know, and uh, and I think with only one training session under his belt, Nandi Offerball has not even had one yet, so there's two there who uh who have come in and given me what I thought they would um, and I know there's more to come from both um, but Jordan yeah really pleased and he'll be very pleased with the clean sheet there was very little coming down his side from crosses and, and challenges um, but like I said I think Bella's probably their, their, their better winger and, and he he was, uh, he was very lively um, but Jack again consistent for us this season so no pleased with the back four um, Wish we could have nicked a one nil, but it wasn't to be.
1: In important, tough games like that, where you just want to try and nick a win, is it is it difficult when you have to try and work out whether to stick or twist and what you do as far as substitutions are concerned?
5: Yeah, of
3: course. You know, I think Uchi and Admiral have done really well and and tired a little bit, and I think they uh, they're probably set up to to deal with Uchi quite well. Uh, so you stick Bale on, and there's all different problem there and a very uh, a vast amount of experience as well. So um, Bale probably. Won his majority of flicks, but uchi has been fantastic for us this season. You know, he's, he's a he's a revelation, and uh, there's more to come from him. Scotty, I thought maybe the pacing behind would get us in. Nearly did a couple of times, but these um, defenses are a lot more solid in the championship. We, you know, we're going to have to make sure we uh, we stick our chances in when we get them. You know, it was uh, you know it was a tough game um, and. And hopefully we can uh, we can build an Saturday. Like I say, it's uh, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a tough a tough run of games now. But um that's the championship. Sending off
1: they'll say that it was similar to the, the one that, that Grimmer did, but there's simply yeah. more falls in it.
3: Yeah, I thought it was very similar to Jack's but um, I think the speed of the tackle, uh, the speed of Fred has probably made it um, look bad. Um, I don't know, I don't know, uh, I'll have to see it again on video. Um, And then my quandary was with five minutes to go, with injury time going up, do I open up and go 4-4-2 and try and exploit the extra man? Um, I think if it had been ten minutes earlier, I think we'd we'd have changed formation. But with five minutes to go, the last thing after Saturday was... I didn't want to get beat off 10 men. Well that would put us lower, lower than a snake's belly. So uh, we, uh, we're happy with a point. Like I said, it's a progression. And um, I've got some fresh legs for Saturday as well, whether he's them or up, we'll see. But um, pleased with where we are and uh, had a great window. Long term planning at this club is looking good. Hopefully we can get points on something.
4: The final one, these six games
3: have, you
4: know,
1: how crucial they are. Yeah, is is this the first step? Do you think? Five more now to try and pick up maybe
3: three wins. Yeah, I mean the games around us, Forest and Sheffield Wednesday derby. You know, uh, even Millwall getting dragged into things, and, and there, so there is some some real winnable games, but we are Wickham Wanderers I read something in the paper the other day that said Wickham should celebrate every goal and every point because they shouldn't be nowhere near the championship and that's that's a compliment to me a real compliment and uh, and if we can keep taking points off big teams uh, it's fantastic you know we've just taken a point off Birmingham City who uh, you know two or three years ago we probably would have been worried about an FA Cup tie against them but we've matched them we beat them up there I think it's, uh, it's a good haul off them we, we need to start winning some games if we want to survive but like I say Rob and Pete have been fantastic long term planning is uh He's really in place here and uh looking forward to uh to, to seeing what we can do Saturday and just one knot, that's Richard Dobson's five hundredth game as assistant manager as well, you know, so he'll be very pleased with the Neilman. Um wish we could have won it for him but um we won't be where we were if it weren't for Richard Dobson either.
2: Gareth was speaking after the 0-0 draw with Birmingham. He also paid tribute after the game to Sandy Durbin, um, who passed away over the weekend. Sandy, somebody who had been associated with the club for a very long time, one of the larger-than-life fans at and Wanderers, somebody probably best known, certainly in recent years, um, as being one of the first people that actually you came across as you walked into Adams Park, because she was always selling the programmes in the programme hut right near the gates. After of the game, Gareth spoke about her.
3: When I first came here as a player, um, Sandy was larger than life, and, and John Durbin, her husband, and uh, and the what what they give you is this feeling of family here, um, the welcome they give you, um, they make you feel so inclusive. My family, my friends, they all talk to them, and they all make make a special effort to come over and, and tell them how proud they are of me, how proud they were of me. and I've had letters off both of them um, in the past congratulating us and thanking us for what we've done at Wickham Um, and really it should be the other way around you know we should be thanking fans like that because they give up their time their effort and know that they were volunteers for the club Um, and yeah Sandy Devlin is going to be absolutely sorely missed, like you wouldn't believe. From me, from all the players, all the players knew her. Um, it was great. You didn't, you didn't not know Sandy. You, you had to know. Her. She was that that kind of character. And uh, it's a huge loss for the Wickham family. Um, and our sympathies go out to all the family, the friends, and especially John, uh, who was by her side. Um, they will never be forgotten. And uh, I thought that it was a really nice moment that the boys went over to clap her seats just before the game. Um, and I said in the in the dressing room before the game. Sandy Durbin and that's all I had to say. Everyone knew, everyone knows who she is, and um, like I said, she'll she'll live on in Wickham history for, for a long, long time.
1: A really nice tribute, and as we were sort of discussing earlier, the club do do that sort of thing very well.
2: They really do. I mean, you know, sadly there have been a good few instances over the past couple of years, um, and yes, the the club are. F- you know, f- fantastic just in how they pay tribute um, to uh, fans and players uh, who sadly are no longer with us it was a really lovely tribute um, particularly the the players obviously going over and clapping Sandy's seat and then Gareth putting flowers on it as well uh, but she will be very much missed.
1: Coming up next on the Wickham Wanderers show we'll be talking to the chairman of the Wickham Wanderers X Players Association,
2: Alan Hutchinson Come sound Still to come on this evening's Wickham Wanderers show, we'll be hearing from midfielder David Wheeler talking on today's Time to Talk Day uh, to Wickham fan Tom Hancock.
1: But first, if you're a regular listener to the show, you'll know that uh, we often get to speak to uh, a number of ex-players from uh, a number of different generations of the club, and a big thank you to JDT uh, from the Wickham Wanderers uh, sub- uh, ...ex-players' association, but also the chairman, Alan Hutchinson... ...who I'm very pleased to say joins us this evening. Hello, sir.
5: Good evening.
1: Thank you so much for your, your time. We'll talk to you a, a bit about the Ex-Players' Association in a sec... ...but I thought it would be brilliant to uh, to find out a bit more, first of all... ...about your, your own kind of uh, affiliation with the club, which goes back quite a long way.
5: A long, long way. In fact, it was extraordinary. Uh, I spent the first four years of my life living with my grandparents in the London Road. Um, my mother was with me, but we were waiting for Dad to come back after the war... And uh, it was a lovely house, and to the right was the Nags Head Pub, and then across on the left-hand side was the Cricket Ground. And if you crossed over the road and you walked along a little way over a bridge onto the right, now all three of those places were established with Wickham Wanderers, all three of them. And this just kept on and going and going. I, I, I wrote all this down a long while ago, and I called it unavoidable, because to steer clear of Wickham Wanderers, for me was totally and utterly unavoidable. Uh, We moved into our house in Saffron Platt um, after the four years we'd spent there, which was owned by my grandmother, and it was number two. And it looked right the way down Eastern Terrace Down to the top of Stuart Road, but directly opposite the house on the corner, there was this large building which had now become a house. But across the words, across the road, in in the in the wall on top of the main door, was the Compasses. Now the Compasses was a very famous pub because in 1884, four boys met under a gas lamp and decided to launch a club called North Town Wanderers. At the top of the road was the Mason's Arms where they used to play and go and get dressed to play and come down Saffron Platte, down the alleyway, alleyway past Trinity Church, over onto the rye. Right. And after the game was over, they'd then go up to get washed in the stable yard at the back, and uh, then off they'd go. Just round the corner from Saffron Platte was Railway Place. And at the top of Railway Place was a pub called the Steam Engine, now the steam engine was where they held their meeting in 1887, which was in the lower ground floor, um, to decide the name change from Northtown Wanderers to Wickham Wanderers, and this just went on and on and on and on. It was extraordinary. Um, I mean, Top of Stuart Road, Norman Williams lived there. Now Norman had been the captain of the club in the 1930s. Round the corner in Aveling Road, Road Number Six was where the first secretary of the club lived, Jim Ray. Um, And it it was just impossible for me to escape anything to do with Wickham Wanderers. And then when my grandfather left Nichols and Janes, he was the master carver there at Nichols and Janes, and he retired in 1948, and he started taking me on walks all over the place. And one of the walks he took me to was up at uh, what was Spring Meadow, where the club used to play, because they didn't have a ground of their own, but it was where they used to play. But then they wanted to get into the FA Amateur Cup and FA Cup, so they had to get a ground that was closed. And, of course, the ideal situation was Wickham Cricket Club, because they never had anything happening in the winter, so they agreed to let the Wanderers play on their ground in the winter, away from where the pitch was, so that they could compete in the FA Amateur Cup and the FA Cup. And so all these stories went on and on and on. It was just fantastic. Then I discovered some years after we moved into the building in number two, was it used to be the former home of Sonny Lane, who was a very famous player for the club in the 1890s. And so, you know, there you go. It's the absolutely incredible stuff.
1: And you've seen, obviously, the transfer to Lokes Park or in your, in your capacity. I mean, was it your grandfather that played the first game at, Park, uh, at Lokes Park?
5: Yeah, no, it was my great my my grandfather, my grandfather played for um, Gordons Wickham Gordons, who were um, a very, very big club, a very well known club back then. but it was my uncle Albert, who was the brother of his father, his father's brother ah. and he played in the last game at uh, uh, up at uh, Spring Meadow and the first game at Lokes Park
1: and also I read, I didn't know this, that you were a right winger yourself of the reserves.
5: Well, yeah, only for a very <laughs> short time though. Only for a very for- short time because um, I was working in Fleet Street at the time and uh, I'd been there a short while I-, I knew I'd never get in the first team. I wasn't good enough to play first team football but I would had offers to go and play for um, Chalfonts and Peter and a couple of other offers for-, for other clubs but I got this great job come up and it really was a terrific job But I had to work um, two Saturdays a month and two Sundays a month. So it meant that I couldn't play football. Um, And also with all the other hours involved, I couldn't train on a Thursday night, a Tuesday or a Thursday. So I just had to pull back. I just took the decision, working is going to be a lot longer than playing football. So I took the decision to carry on working. Very prudent.
1: But you've had a number of other roles at the club as well. People might know you as a, as a press officer, obviously, which you've for a long time, but also the, the secretary as well, and other other roles too.
5: Yes, I did. Well, the thing was that um, I always had connections with the club because when my grandfather took me to the first match at uh, to Lokes Park in 1952, um, I was eight years old, and he introduced me to Reg Borum. So I met Reg Borham, and that was great because it became very, very useful later on. Um, there was an incident in 74, I think it was either, it was in the summer of 74, I think it happened, or it might have been 75, leading up to the start of 75, 76 season, um, when a friend of mine, um, Chris Avery, who worked for um, a printers in Marlowe, Precision Press, uh, got in touch with me, and I was at the Bucks Free Press at the time, he got in touch with me and he said, oh, um, can, you, can you come over and have a quick word? He said, I need to talk to you about something. So I went to see him, and uh, he said, all the program's just not selling. He said, it's a disaster. Um, he said, we're printing these copies, and every time the print run changes because it gets smaller and smaller. He said, any ideas, anything you could do for us? You could, you've been attached to the club a long time. You know an awful lot of people. Um, is there something you could do? So I said, well, I'll go and think about it. Anyway, I came up with the decision to write a series of articles based on players I'd knew and met from the 1920s up to the 1950s so that we could do different articles on different players in those eras and change them every every match so we get a different story going out and this is where reg borum suddenly came very handy to me because i walked around to see him and i said i know you've got numbers for some of these people but i've done a list here is it possible you could give me the telephone numbers or addresses um for these players Oh, come back and see me in a couple of days. It'd take me a couple of days to do that. So I went back in two days, and sure enough, he'd done this list for me. Now, the interesting thing about that list is that he had formed an old players' association back at that time, but they never did anything. I mean, they were just names on a list, but they never met up, they never went anywhere, and occasionally they'd meet up in an odd game here and there at the club, but there was nothing specific organized for them to do so um, I thought about that I just thought about that and I thought oh that's interesting anyway did this these series of articles and I, I it was incredible because at the end of that season 75 76 the club won the award for the highest sales of programs in non-league football in the country the the sales went up to 86 percent which was quite extraordinary And so that was something that gave me a big lift. And because I've known so many people at the club, I used to get certain offers from time to time about doing things there. And I said, well, I can't because I I have to think about it. You know, I was in Fleet Street for a long, long time. And then I went into the film industry and and so on and so on. And in the end, it meant that um, being at the Free Press gave me a bit more time at the weekends to spend with my family. So I decided I wouldn't do anything there and then. But, um, yeah, interesting stuff.
1: No, definitely. Obviously, your, your knowledge of the club is something that really stands out. You, you could be called it Wikipedia. <laughs> um, but what, 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 after all the time that you spent, obviously, with the club and studying it, what, what would you say is what makes it so special?
5: Oh, I think it was the atmosphere at the place. It was incredibly special. Um, it didn't matter what... It, this is why I wanted to form the ex-players, because... I could see from all the players I'd known from the 1920s right up to the present day, they all had these individual stories, they all liked doing certain things, and yet they never met up. I mean, if I tell you one of the things happened, I was looking for it to happen, at one of our golf days, when uh, Keith Ryan, after he'd played his round, had played with two boys that had played for the club in the 50s, and he came to me and he said, Hutch, I can't tell you what I've had a day today. He said, and I think he was, I can't remember who he was playing with, but it was a player from his era, which had been the 90s, and he was playing with these two. And he said, what a day I've had today. He said, I can't tell you. He said, it was absolutely brilliant. He said, it was nothing but golf and stories, and we spent the whole afternoon cracking up with laughter. And, uh, and of course, it meant that wherever they went, They'd known these people, and when we used to have other events of ours, well, they'd all chat to each other and meet up, and it got stronger and stronger and stronger. And this was the reason, because the club was like that in whatever era you played. didn't matter what era it was. I remember the 50s. They played with Sid Can, and he was a superb coach, but he wasn't the best person of of, of talking to the players. Um, they sort of just listened, but, you know, it, it never got really close to them, but he was a superb coach. But they all got together. They were all close with each other. And it showed off the field and on the field. And so it went right the way through. Whoever came in as the manager, the players were there, and they just wanted to be together. It was just a wonderful atmosphere at the club.
1: That seems to be what makes it. Is the character, you know, the players that we've spoken to, you know, in the past, they've said how the, you know, the wives and girlfriends would travel together and the whole team would go out for meals, and it, it just seems like another sort of time, but a brilliant sort of collaboration of of, of men, if you like.
5: Oh, totally and utterly, and um, it was like this when Martin O'Neill came. I mean, he couldn't believe the atmosphere. I mean, he used to say, he said, you know, he said the atmosphere is fantastic here. He said uh, they all get on so well. I said, yeah, but it's been like that throughout. The whole of history at this club, I said. I knew a lot of the players from the nineteen twenties, and you know they were just the same. I mean, real, real characters. I mean, I must tell you one particular story, which is hilarious. I went to do an interview with um, uh, one of the players who played in the nineteen twenties, and he, he was a terrific. He really was a terrific player, and uh, his name was Clon Smith. K L O N. And he lived up at Terriers, just up the road from the Royal Grammar School. And I went and uh, knocked on his door, and I said, Oh, Clon, uh, I've come to do an interview. Yeah, yeah, come in, come in. Went into this little room where he was sitting in a chair in front of the fire, which was going away. And um, we were having a chat away there, and I said to him, Oh, you played in the game with the Spartan League versus the FA Cup, amateur cup winners. I said, in a special game at Lokes Park, oh, yes, he said, he said. He said, unfortunately, we got done 4-2. He said, but I had a bet with the goalkeeper, uh, Jim Kipping. He said, oh, I'd score. So I said, oh, really? So he said, oh, yes. I said, did you? Oh, of course I did. And he jumped up out of his chair and he said, I went back to the goal like this. He said, the ball came to me. I went, goes away, turned round, spun away. And I belted it in my left foot and it went flying and his slipper came off and went in the fire. <laughs> I had to jump up to drag it out. Before it caught light, patted it down so it was on. He said, oh, He said, you were nearly as quick as me. And he was 86. <laughs> <laughs>
1: wow. Well, it is fantastic as well that so many different generations of players get to share their stories, whether, you know, whether they played at Wembley, perhaps it was in 57, or one of the FA Trophy finals, yeah. or a playoff final. And yeah. they can share those experiences.
5: Yes, exactly right. And it's all important. And of course, when I wanted to launch the ex-players, I would thought about it for a number of seasons. I really did. And it gave me a long time to lay out how I wanted it to happen, that we would meet every month at the club uh, so that we could discuss what would be happening, that we have a member from each era that was still able to attend would be a member of the committee. And, um, and it's worked absolutely superbly because each member of the committee knows all the players he played with. And that makes it, makes it good. Because when we were building the total up over the years when we launched in 2008, it was important to have a situation where you could say to somebody, like John Maskell was brilliant, he was the first person I called because I knew how good he'd be. I met him at the club when he was a player and um, his attitude to everything was just superb. And he could have a real giggle and a real laugh, but when he became a serious person, you would listen to what he had to say because he talked nothing but common sense so you could rely on people like that. And that's why we've got such a good group. John Taylor was somebody that I knew I was going to have because his sheer ability with a computer and what he can do is just unbelievable. And we needed his ability to be able to really put us on the map, which he's done. Because, um, you know, anything we need to get for our dinner, our annual dinner, put pictures on the wall or move. He's just absolutely terrific at it. And uh, there are other people on the committee too that have been absolutely excellent. I mean, we've got Brian Lee on it now, which is marvellous. You know, to have the former manager uh, of the club who was so successful in those amateur days, he's now on our committee. No,
1: that is fantastic. And another aspect which people may not be aware of is, is the fantastic money you raise both for charity and also to put back into the club.
5: Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it was something we wanted to do. We discussed all these things before we really launched the ideas. You know, we, we, see, we talked about the money, what we're going to do with it, how it will work. And uh, it's been absolutely brilliant. And it's benefited so many people, uh, not just at the club, but outside the club, but local people, local people. And uh, that works very well indeed.
1: And also, you, you speak to these, these ex-players on that they're so grateful for the opportunity to, to meet other generations and, and the, the work that you and, and J.D.T. do to bring them together and it's one of the biggest, I think, in the, in the country so many members that you've got you it must is, be so it pleased with, with how it's grown
5: It is the biggest in the country because all the big pro clubs, clubs like Man United and all the other teams a next player there just rings up and they leave a ticket for him on the front desk so he arrives, grabs his ticket and goes to the game which is great, I mean, because they can afford to do all that and organise all that um, but to get an ex-players association is outsta- excuse me is outstanding for us because we were originally an amateur football club. I and mean, We didn't go into the pro game, pro, uh, pro game until Martin O'Neill arrived and took us in there in the 90s. So you've got these two sections of players, one that were amateurs and two that were professionals, and this is why it was important to bring the two together. And this is why they 're so, so entertaining, it 's so much fun to be with when we 're at our annual dinner, which we hold every year at the club in November. Then we have a golf day, we've got um, uh, another, uh, several other events we do, um, you know a quiz night, which is really great, and so on. Uh, and because we hold these events throughout the season, don't get the same people there because there are some people who don't play golf. there are others who aren't interested in quizzes, and so on. But because you get this different range of people in the events, it really is superb.
1: Well, it's fantastic to hear about the the X Players Association and the work that you do, and, and look forward to uh, to hearing from him from more of them in the future. And thank you so much, as I say, for, for your help with arranging to, for us to speak to them as well.
5: Okay, Charlie, good, my pleasure.
1: Alan Hutchinson, the chairman of the Wickham Wanderers X Players Association, speaking to us here at Wickham Sound. This is Wickham
2: Sound. <laughs> Welcome back to the Wiccan Wanderers show. Uh, really, really interesting to hear from Alan Hutchinson, particularly mentioning about the fact uh, that Wiccan were still an amateur club until really the days of Martin O'Neill, which just doesn't sound very long ago. Anyway, today was a time to talk day uh, where we're all encouraged to talk more about our mental health and how we are feeling. Uh, Phil Catchpole on his Ringing the Blues podcast, which is always excellent and that you can find simply by searching online for Ring the Blues, uh, ...arranged for Wigan fan Tom Hancock... ...to have a chat to midfielder David Wheeler.
0: In a football club especially... ...there generally is a lot of money flying around... ...there's people who are paid well for what they do... ...despite obviously having a short career... ...but there are options and possibilities there... ...if the will is there... ...to have a resident sports psychologist in the building... ...and yeah. for most clubs an improvement would just be to have someone coming in once a week but to have someone in two or three times a week would have such an incredibly huge positive impact on the whole environment of the club and the mental well-being of the players but also their mental capacities on the pitch like yeah. the you know putting all the mental health Personal mental health to one side, even though I I think that's a bit of a misnomer because I think the two go hand in hand. There's so much scope to improve performance on the pitch through psychological means that it's just is not being tapped into at all. But yet we have we have it's, it's a given that we have a physiotherapist. It's a given that we have massage therapist. It's a given that we have analysts it's a given that we have sports scientists it's it's a given that we have a strength and conditioning coach and yet there's so much psychology in being a professional footballer and yet for some reason across the board we don't see it as something that needs to be a regular thing it's something that's a mainstay on a day-to-day basis
6: yeah, yeah it all goes hand in hand as well but yeah again i think that's kind of a reflection of society in general it's you know, mental health services are often the ones you hear first about cuts being made to and, you know, waiting times. And it can be really hard to kind of access that. You know, last September, like use of antidepressants was at an all-time high. And I think that can be seen as, you know, kind of that they don't necessarily work for everyone. Like the medication route doesn't work for everyone. I mean, I've tried various things, more like anti-anxiety stuff. And I don't know, I just, for me, I didn't like the way it felt. And I found other sort of means much more helpful to kind of get back on track but yeah I think yeah the fact that even as recently as you know the last couple of years I I mean the last time I actually kind of needed to kind of talk to anyone about anything I think it was about a three-month wait yeah I, felt I wasn't like in a really awful place or feeling suicidal or anything or any of that like I was getting by but yeah I think it's worrying that people who are in that kind of situation you might not I, I can't put myself in those shoes because I've not been there, but I can't imagine it's particularly easy to come out and say, "Yeah, I'm feeling this way. I need help now." People aren't always going to read it necessarily. Um, aren't going to kind of read how you're feeling. And yeah, like the, there needs to be, you needs to have instant, you know, this kind. There is a certain level of emergency care. But I
0: think yeah. uh, I think the point is that it's it's obviously prevention is better than cure a lot of the time, isn't it? And I think. Yeah to 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 get you while before you 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 drop into into that level of being it being an emergency potentially like that's the key isn't it well yeah and there's, there's not even enough there I don't think to stop but I think you know, you know, also not... there's the there's a cultural thing with British people I think compared to some other countries is that we, oh, yeah. we yeah we don't we don't necessarily Want to embellish on our personal feelings and thoughts, and we don't want to. Yeah. We we say, oh no, I'm okay, I'm fine. Like, I mean, you know, c- come in as, as simple as a greeting. Say, oh, how you doing? Oh yeah, fine. Everyone says that every day, but it's almost never true. Oh, it's an incredibly British
6: thing, I think, as well. Yeah, I'm definitely guilty of
0: Yeah, it's just like, well, no, it isn't. Most of the- <laughs> like, you know, a large proportion of the time. Um, but it is—it is sort of the hat, sort of stiff upper lip thing. I think still exists to a large extent.
6: Yeah. If I'm like, yeah, I can definitely, definitely a dis- distinction well. like throw sort of, a I don't know, by text or something. I might say, no, I'm not alright. This is up. But if I'm, yeah, in the morning you see someone, or yeah, bump into someone out and about. How's it going? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I, I've never said anything other than, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, we laugh about it, but yeah, I think. But it's so hard to get to a stage where, like, to sort of denormalize that. That's just so deeply ingrained. I don't, you're not going to suddenly flick a switch and have everyone going, no, I'm awful. Um, and become really blunt and open about it. I think, I think we almost need
0: to, yeah, try and normalize being an oversharer. Like, I remember not that long ago when I was, well, i say that it it feels like a, Ages ago when I was at the Barbers, I was sat next to a guy who was a proper oversharer. And I was like, oh, this guy, this guy's getting a bit much now. I don't want to hear about everything about his life. But we almost need to get to that stage where when someone asks you that you get on with, if someone asks you how are you doing, like, you're like, actually, X, Y, and Z is bothering me. Mm. Rather than being like, yeah, it's fine. And then just like, that's, that's, that's you know, we almost need to try and... Uh, try and change that that way of thinking
6: yeah but
0: um but i think coming back to the 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 football side of things and the my insight in like into the the football world and and being a professional footballer is that if you if you look at it on relatively simple terms the majority of scenarios for a footballer are negative on a day-to-day basis so from say, say for example for a normal week yeah building up to a saturday match there's only really one scenario where it, it, if you're just looking at because obviously you know the different players have different levels of been able to cope with disappointment which is a, a psychology thing it's a, whether you have that naturally or if you've learned about psychology then you can cope with disappointment better than other people but by and large, the only thing where you're going to be elated and where you're going to be happy and feel like things are going well is if you win, Yeah. maybe you score, mm-hmm. you've started the game and you don't get injured and you play well. Mm-hmm. So these five things all have to happen simultaneously for you to be like, yeah, yeah. That was really good. I'm really happy with that. Really chuffed. That went really well that weekend. But for the chances of those five things happening all simultaneously for just one player are quite slim. It is a case of not getting too down about things, not getting too high when we... Never too high, never too low that's kind of been the way um that's that's probably a good parallel for mental health generally i'd say like never too high never too low but also never getting too ahead of yourself and never dwelling
6: too much on the past yeah i think also kind of more yeah it's probably been more difficult this season for fans to kind of stay level i mean as it has for anyone throughout the whole last 12 months um I think you'll get people with varying opinions on this I mean for me I'm happy to still be able to watch the game obviously I want to be there I'd rather be there than watching on a t- on you know on a screen but I've watched a lot more football than I would ordinarily do this is a really interesting
0: thing for me is that because my my dad and my uncle and family members they say oh it's it's all that it's all that's getting me through this pandemic yeah. is being able to watch the footage. And obviously, like, like, there's loads of people that couldn't care less whether the football was on or not, or maybe sick of it. But, yeah, I mean, I'm interested from your perspective and maybe from other fans that you've spoken to about how important is it, even without being able to go, that it that it
6: remains something they can watch and be still feel a part of. I mean, I know there's been a bit of a discussion kind of going on about, you know, paying for season tickets and then only being able to get a stream, but a lot of people are happy to kind um happy for the club to keep the money from season tickets and they're happy to have been able to watch it and have got value out of that. And obviously we are able to watch, you know, a normal season, you have your season ticket, you go to 23 home games, you might not do many a ways this season. We've been able to watch literally every game. I mean, yeah, for, certainly when it's your own team, I think that's probably a positive more generally. Yeah, I'm quite happy to, I will watch anything. I watch, like, German football and most of the Premier League games. That's just me, I will watch pretty much anything and let's face it, what else is there to do at the moment. But yeah, I think it's good, but I think it's also frying people's brains a bit, maybe. (laughs) You can get too much of a good thing.
0: Yeah, no, but I just just wonder, I I see it on social media quite a lot, you know, where people people put comments up about, you know, questioning whether football should be carrying on. During a global pandemic, and yeah, justifiably, really. And then there's a huge. There seems to often be a huge backlash of people saying, "Oh, people's mental health need it. People's mental health, they need it to
6: to have something to look forward to, to stay positive." And I think you can say that about a lot of things. And obviously, football is definitely the most popular just spectator sport. It's one of the most popular leisure activities, probably out of anything. Whether that's art stuff, or whether it's sport, or whatever. Yeah, I agree. I think it's important to have had it carry on. But, I mean, I think we're past the point now where, because there was that kind of, it did feel like there was going to be a bit of a touch and go moment um, at the beginning of the year when COVID was getting extremely out of control. I mean, you can't, you know, it's still bad. Clearly, it's still really bad. Um, I think we're past the point of any debate over actually stopping the season. But, yeah, just thinking back to last year, it was, what, three months? Even that three months, which was basically the same length as a normal off-season, yeah, I just felt completely empty. Yeah, I think I don't want to be too profound on this and say, oh, it's given me a newfound appreciation for it or anything, but I think it's helped me chill out about it a bit and be less kind of, um, have my mood less dependent on it.
2: You can hear the full interview by going to the Ringing the Blues podcast. All you have to do is search for Ringing the Blues. It will come up. It's this week's episode. Uh, It's uh, Phil Catchpole's podcast. Uh, Many thanks for allowing us to play that. David Wheeler there speaking to uh, Tom Hancock.
1: It was a really, really good listen. I really enjoyed that
2: yeah it was it, it was excellent uh you know i'm and, and really interesting actually just hearing them both uh, and as, as i said beforehand you know it, it wasn't really an interview actually it was just a you know you, you felt like you were just listening to two blokes having a chat uh, about mental health i thought it was really interesting particularly all of the bits about you know people you say how are you and someone says i'm fine and yes you know sometimes maybe just dig a little bit deeper than that
1: really thought-provoking in fact fine can mean so many different things can't it because you say how are you and they say fine or there's fine or fine, fine. Yes. there's so many fines
2: Yes, you can imagine speaking to Gareth after the, the Brentford game. You
0: know, <laughs> How was that performance? Never,
2: fine, fine, fine. <laughs> fine. You know, whereas the Birmingham one would be been, oh, fine. So
1: hopefully, Nottingham Forest next. That's that's one of the six, isn't it? So I think we're, we're down to five now, though, aren't we?
2: Yes, yeah, we are. Um, You know, which is getting slightly worrying because I think we hoped that maybe we'd have three points from from the first one. Um, Chris Hutton, obviously in charge now of Nottingham Forest, uh, saying uh, on Twitter, Wickham have found this season difficult, but they are still a very competitive side who will battle for every single ball and make life extremely tough for us, Uh, which is is great to hear, but at the same time does make me slightly think the trouble is the fact that we're now playing all of these teams again, they now realise that actually, you know, that we're not going to be a pushover, that we're not going to be a walkover, um, and so are probably going to try slightly extra hard. Um but as I've said all season, you know, that this this is the sort of game where actually we really need to start seeing those performances that Wickham have put in against some of the really good teams. Uh, Thinking of the the Watford game, thinking of the game against Bournemouth, uh where, you know, that they they've performed and we thought, wow, well, you know, if we play like that every week we'll we'll easily stay in the championship. We haven't really put those Games in Against the teams That are down Around us And you know Saturday would be A fantastic place To start
1: And Gareth Mentioning as well That he's got
2: Some fresh legs To bring in Which is is quite Hopeful Yes, yeah, you know that, that's good. I mean, you know, we, we've got a, a decent squad now, actually, when you think about it, and uh, you know, particularly if a, if a few players could come back from injury as well, and that that would be really great. But you know, there there is the, particularly going forward, there, there's a huge amount of talent there. Um, obviously, we've got Uchi in Admiral. Uh, then you've got Bayo uh, and Scott. Obviously, are sort of like warming the bench at the moment and coming on. Uh, you've still got Alex Samuel there as well. Uh, you've obviously got Fred. You know, so, so David Wheeler as well. You know, so many different players that actually that can play in the midfield, but also so are brilliant going forward so so you know there there are a, a lot of options that gareth now has and gareth too of course uh, and and gareth too as well absolutely uh, and he he signed a new contract as well this week so you know so that again that that was a good bit of news for us so it all sounds really positive doesn't it <laughs> or do, no, we, do we keep saying that and then... <laughs> well I, I think we fully do keep saying that i think it's quite good that we're saying that after you know a nil nil and a seven two but yes it is still positive, but. You know, yeah, we we do we could do with this time next week talking about that we've got six points from our last two games because if we haven't, then I think maybe we do have to start having some slightly more realistic conversations, Colin. Although I do think it is really encouraging that it's still only February and there are still loads of points to play for. That is very very true, and you know, and all of those postponements that we have recently had, you know, do do you just mean that actually there is still a long way to go in the season, even though we are now into February.
1: It is it's a tough tough road to hoe it is indeed (laughs)
5: please see previous episodes of the show for an explanation of that
1: Uh, we're back next week at the same time